So I started something. I want to talk about um, the powers of darkness tonight because I, I kind of got into something Sunday. And I, I try not to do this when I'm doing massive change in people's belief system. I try to, believe it or not, <laughs> I try to be a little bit more, a little slower and more methodical about it. <clears throat> and I really just jumped into the middle of that without realizing it. And then once you're in it, it's too late. Um, but, you know, we have this dualistic idea about good and evil uh, or God and Satan. We would never say this. Like, intellectually, we know to say it the right way. We know that Satan is, uh, we believe, a fallen angel uh, who opposes God, has this organized, took 30 angels with him when he fell, has this organized system of evil that's out to deceive people. Um, but the way we function with it at an emotional level and at a practical level, it's very much um, a polarity of equality. It's like God and Satan. Only the way we've structured our worldview, because we've said, you know, God's goal is to get people saved, get them to believe in Jesus, but, you know, still, six billion people on the planet, maybe everyone in your circle um, believes in Jesus or believes like that, but I'm going to tell you right now that, you know, the vast majority of the people in the world are not Christian. They are, you know, pagans or Hindus or atheists or agnostics or whatever. And all, if all of that's coming from Satan, then God is really getting his rear end handed to him <laughs> in this battle. So then we magnify Satan and make Satan even bigger than he actually is. And so to achieve our goal, we say, well, there's these forces that are opposing us. And so... Depending on where a person's at, they can then find a demon under every bush or any kind of opposition that comes against them, which might just be life happening, then gets attributed to any setback that they have, any you know negative thoughts or whatever that they're having gets attributed to these dark forces. And so then if we put a spiritual warfare model and paradigm around that, then we spend a lot of energy and prayer and time and effort into doing spiritual warfare, because if we can figure out how to win this spiritual warfare, then this great revival that we've been promised for decade after decade after decade is finally going to break loose and happen, right? And so then you have to begin to wonder what's going on. Is God holding it back? Are we holding it back? Or Well, then if we're holding it back, are we deceived and held captive to demonic forces? Um, you know, and, and, and so it, it really impacts on so many levels a person's practical worldview that if I say, which I said on Sunday, so this will be one part of another message that I'll do on Sunday, but if I say um, Satan in the Bible is not a proper name and does not and never did refer to an entity that was a fallen angel, and that's very easy to show from Scripture, which we'll do on Sunday, but if I say that, it's almost like saying that I'm an atheist, it's, it, I mean, that's really some of the responses. It's like, oh my God, then you don't believe in God. And I don't remember who was quoted as saying it, but the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to make people think <laughs> or that he didn't exist, right? Uh, I would say maybe the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to misdirect and make you think somebody else was doing stuff they weren't doing. <laughs> or create a false identity. <laughs> or, I mean, that's just dumb. I mean... That's a statement that's out there, but people believe that, and then that puts fear in their heart. And they think, oh my God, if I don't believe in the devil, then I'm falling into his trick, 
which just goes to show you the level of subconscious fear that the person is operating at to begin with, right? So normally what I would do is take apart, show from Scripture how what we have here, what we believe, is not validated in Scripture. It does not come out of the Bible. And historically, here's where it shows up and here's how it developed. That's my normal pattern. Which then leaves people like, oh my God, you know, I make the, the comment, they took away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him, you know, Mary, when she comes back from the tomb. <laughs> and I know I've had that effect on people a few times. Um, so this is like, I took away your devil and, and I don't know what hell you've placed him in or something. So what I thought was, I thought I'm going to try a different approach and I'm going to show what the Bible actually teaches first so that you have some place to land on rather than just taking something away and it's like, oh my God, I don't have a devil anymore. What do I do now? <laughs> Does that make sense? So I want to talk about, not a very pleasant subject to talk about, but it will be, I think, a very empowering and freeing way to look at it. I want to talk, at, talk about what are actually the powers of darkness because here's the other problem that you run into. People have experiences. How many of you have ever had an experience that you thought, was with a demon or with the devil. I know I've had multiple um, experiences with that. So what I would never want anybody to do, like one of the things that I really want to encourage people to do is check things out with their own experience, and I never want somebody to surrender what they believe from their own firsthand experience to something that I'm teaching. I never want a person to surrender their experience from my experience. Or their opinion for my opinion. That's not what I'm trying to accomplish. I don't think that, I think one of the problems with the church is that we gather together around agreement on opinions rather than a really relationship and love and affection for each other. It's not that. It's I don't agree with this anymore, so I'm out of here. Right? Or on the flip side of that, that's from like a leadership perspective, on the flip side of that, I've seen this over and over again, uh, heard from a person today that this just happened to them. Once you're no longer serving the system, you're no longer feeding the beast, <laughs> meaning you're not serving like you were once serving or contributing like you were once contributing, all of a sudden now we have no value for you, and so we treat you differently. Because we're, you know, we need people to come in and serve the system and feed the beast. And so really, if you look at church communities as relationship structures, they're quite dysfunctional. And they're quite based on agreement and they're based on how much have you done and how much are you giving and how much are you serving. And it's, it's not really based on anything. Yeah, based well, well exactly, creeds. So... It's based on creed, not relationship. So if you step outside of the creed, they're really going to get you. And so I think, and what I hope is as I bring this out, that what you'll see is that a lot of what we call um, Christ is actually satanic (laughs) because it's a principle. And so we'll look at that. And so you're, you, you're in the Christ part of it as long as you agree, but the moment you don't agree, people become a Satan to you. And then they operate out of satanic principle rather than from the principle of the love of God. And it, it's, it's pretty easy to see once you understand it. So, so let's, I don't, don't want to just, I can, I'm, I'm a little bit torn because I want to throw a bunch of scripture out to kind of validate what I'm saying. 
But rather than doing it that way, I think I'll just talk and I'll reference scriptures and we may look at a few. Um, Because I could take you through the entire Bible. But I think at least if you've been following me anytime at all or you've been coming anytime at all, uh, you're pretty familiar with the Genesis material. Right? So... In the beginning, God creates heaven and earth, right? And here's what's interesting. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. If you look at that in the original language, without form and void means the earth was in total chaos. There is no light, there's only darkness. And the word for deep there is the word tehom. Now, Tehom was a god. Uh, Tehom was the, the god of destruction, uh, the god of uh, chaos, the god of darkness, what we would call the devil today. It's also the word that's used for the abyss or for hell. So in the beginning, God, and but here's the thing, God created that. See, that's our problem. God, God actually started everything chaotic, in darkness, and hellish. With this, if you're reading it, if you're a first century reader, if you're an ancient reader, you're reading that, you're not just reading deep and thinking the deep sea because (laughs) you know what's under the sea from your scientific western model. You're thinking Tehom, the beast in the sea. The god of chaos and destruction. And so when the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of Tehom, you see it? And God says, let there be light, and there was light, right? And we go through this whole structure of creation. So here's the thing. In the beginning, you have earth, you have water, you have air, because the word for spirit and the word for wind are exactly the same. So you have the four elements. You have you have earth, wind, water, and then when God says let there be light, light in the ancient world. I mean, light still today, but we don't think of it as a fire. But it is. You know, your little light bulb is just a little miniature fire, right? So in the ancient world, though, it was all fire. So when God said let there be light, and there was light, the sun's a fire, the stars are a fire, and so you have fire, Right? And then you have God speaking. So here's the interesting thing about creation, and this is undeniable. So again, Scripture says, and the the Hebrews did this really well in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, Paul says that if you look at creation, he he says, nobody is without excuse for, you know, believing in God. He's basically, he says in Romans chapter one, there, there should be no atheists. Because you can look at creation, and when you look at creation, you know there's a creator. And everything about God's eternal nature and Godhead, he says. Those are the words he uses. About his eternal nature and Godhead is revealed in creation. Now watch this. We live in a world... So so I can look at creation. So here's the interesting thing. I can look at creation, and the early Christians understood this. And the Hebrews understood this. I can look at creation and understand God and never read my Bible. That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 1. Now, here's the other part of it. So so creation, according to Paul, is a revelation of what God is like. But here's the interesting thing. It comes straight out of God. 
The Bible is a collaboration between God and man. Uh, we trust Scripture. The Scripture itself says that we can trust it because holy prophets of old, men, were moved by the Holy Spirit, God, to write what they wrote. Paul says all Scripture is inspired of God. Inspired. Well, again, that's another word that to the Greeks meant something because poets were inspired. The word inspire in, in, in uh, English means to inspirit. Inspire. Inspirit. So in Greek culture, the, the poets were inspirited, the musicians were inspirited, the artists were inspirited, geniuses were inspirited. The original word for demon in the Greek culture, a demon was actually a spirit that produced genius, was not something evil. That comes much later. So in Greek culture, you were encouraged to get in touch with your demon. I remember the first time I heard somebody teaching on that. They weren't a Bible teacher, but they were talking about getting into your demon's day. And back then I was like, I'm not getting into my demon's day. <laughs> you know, my wife and family, kids see enough of my demon's day. <laughs> you know, my church sees enough of my demon's day. I'm not going to access that on purpose. <laughs> but he had a totally different frame of reference because he was using it from a, a Greek philosophy perspective rather than from a biblical perspective. But here's the point. The Bible was a collaboration between God and man. It's been interpreted by man. It's been copied by man. It's been preserved by man. And it was decided which books we would get by men. So you always had the human element. You always have the human element in the Bible. It's as much a human book as it is a divine book. That's not to deny inspiration. It's to say what Paul's actually saying. It's inspired. <laughs> but creation has no mediator. So in a sense, creation is a more direct revelation of who God is and what God is like than Scripture, which is why Jesus never opened the Scriptures to talk about what God was like. He pointed people to nature. You want to know what the kingdom's like? Look at seed growing in the ground. <laughs> you want to know how much you're worth? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the, you know... Uh, Look at the flowers. Solomon and all his beauty was never taken care of, you know, arrayed like these beautiful flowers. And if God cares about one bird that falls, how much more is he caring about you? How much more value are you? See how he uses nature. He uses examples from relationships. He, there's only one place where he opens the scripture, and that's when he's in the synagogue. And when he preaches from the scripture, they reject him and take him out and try to throw him out. That's the only place you'll find it. Every other time he refers to the scriptures, he says, it's written in your book. Your law says. The law came through Moses, John says. Creation, there's no veil. There's no interference. It's a better way to say it. Does that make sense? One thing undeniable about this creation that we are left in, it is a creation of polarities, of opposites. So you have positive and negative ions, right? So you have a positive and a negative. You have hot and cold. You have wet and dry. You have hungry and satisfied. Um, you have male and female. Polarities, right? 
and you have darkness and light. And that th- those polarities, darkness and light, are the ones that are used primarily by the New Testament writers, in particular John, in particular Paul, when he talks about wrestling with the forces of darkness, talks about being delivered from the dominion of darkness in Colossians chapter 1. John talks about how the light of Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So darkness is a picture of what we would call evil, and light is a picture of what we would call good. Uh, Paul says God dwells in unapproachable light. When you get to the New Jerusalem, what happens? There's no more night there. But right now, when God created the earth in Genesis 1 and up until right now, we are still, as human beings, in a world of polarity. And it's a spectrum. Right? So here's the most amazing thing. God left just as much darkness as he did light. Depending on where you are, on the planet, right? <laughs> Depends on how much you experience. But nevertheless, you still have a shortest day of the year in winter that is balanced by a longest day of the year in summer. You still have the equinoxes. So you have a balance, you have a perfect distribution, if you will, of light and darkness. Now, I don't know why God did it that way. I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> But that's the way God did it. And then he decides to take human beings and place them in this world of polarities. So, but now here's what we miss again with the scripture. So now come with me to Genesis 2 in your mind. When God creates Adam, he reenacts, the the writer reenacts for us the Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God. But it's very subtle. Because here's what he tells us. We all know that God took dust from the ground. But the word dust there isn't the best translation because we have a tendency to think of dust as that dry stuff that's everywhere that you have to... Thank you. The word is actually clay. Clay has water in it. So what we're told is, is that water came up from the ground. That it had not rained, but that water came up from the ground and watered the earth, right? And then it says that God took the dust of the ground, which in Hebrew is Adamah, and he formed a man. So there you have earth and water, just like in the beginning. You have God, in order to take the dust, has to hover over the earth and the water. It's formless and empty, because he has to form man, and then he has to breathe into man, he has to put something into man. So man starts out, Formless and empty with earth and water. And then, again, our translations are difficult because in the Hebrew, the word picture... Now remember, the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew is a pictorial language because the the symbols for the letters not only represented sounds, they represented pictures as well as numbers. So here's the picture, when you understand the picture, and I I did this a few years ago and took the whole message to do it. So if you want to email me and I'll, Roger back there will try to find it for you. (laughs) Just kidding, Roger. (laughs) So, 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 but are you tracking with me? Do Do you see the parallels? And so when it says he breathed into him in the breath of life, now you have the wind. Now you have the spirit. But here's the other thing. It, the, the 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 language there is he a fiery breath. 
So a fiery breath went into Adam and so light went into Adam as well. So you have exactly the same elements in the same order basically happening when God creates man as when God creates the universe. Now this is not lost on Jewish people at all. Because in Jewish thought, Hebraic thought, man is the microcosm of the universe. So, in other words, whatever's in the universe, and this is what the sages and the rabbis would say, whatever's in the universe is in man. And whatever is in man is in the universe. And they would say, to save one person is to save an entire universe. And they would say, you can understand yourself through science by going out and exploring the macrocosm, you'll understand yourself. Or you can go through meditation and mysticism within and understand yourself. And if you understand yourself, you'll understand the universe. Because there are correspondences for all of it. Now here's the other thing we miss. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's not talking about Yahweh. Now this is going to seem unimportant, and this is really going to rock people's world, but I promise you I have done my my due diligence on this, all right? Elohim, Eloah, is the feminine term for God or Goddess. Okay? Im is the masculine plural. So you have the feminine and the masculine principle in the beginning, God. But here's the scary thing. It's in the plural. So if we translated it correctly, what it would say was, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth. Now here's the other thing. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, when gods, when Elohim, let's just do that, because that's going to, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, there we go, I can feel it already. But it's it's in the Bible. Like, I'm not making this up. So, we'll just say Elohim. So Elohim says, let us, why? Because it's a plurality. Let us make humanity in our image which means that all of the all that the divine encompasses was put inside of the human being so now not only do you have correspondences with the human being to everything in the physical world but you have correspondences to the human being with everything in the invisible world as well that's how awesome you are as a human being. That's how awesome you are. And then what's really cool is God's, in Genesis 2, it says that no rain had come on the earth because there was no man on the earth to, to work the earth. And the word for work there is to worship. Right? And so you have this divide where rain cannot come. The heaven cannot give what it has to the earth so that the earth can give what it has, vegetation, because the human being is the microcosm, um, the connector, the joiner, the bridge, the channel between the heavens and the earth, between the spiritual Elohim and all that that encompasses, and the matter. So you are the bridge between spirit and matter. You are the only bridge, as far as I know, in this world, 
between spirit and matter. God could not even, rain could not even come if humanity was not in the earth. God could not even come if humanity was not in the earth. So here's the thing. So then God gives humanity free will and says, you have dominion over the earth. Whatever you decide, I will follow. So when, when and Eden is this gateway place. It's it's not on the earth. It's 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 not in heaven. It's it's a bridge. It's a gateway place. It's a temple. And so when they're in the Garden of Eden, they're in this temple place. Uh, when it when it says God came to walk with Adam in the cool of the day, the word there for cool it's ruach. It's the word spirit, and the word for day is light. God came to walk with Adam in spirit and in light. So when Jesus says, if you're going to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth, He's being true to creation. When John says, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with him. Well, so Adam goes and hides in the trees. He chooses, watch this, darkness over light. So now he's got to go into the darkness. There were two trees, polarities, a tree of life and a tree of death, another polarity, life and death. Adam had to choose from those polarities. All he knew was life. That's all he knew. Good and evil, polarity. He didn't know polarity. So humanity got sent into the world to experience polarities. Because you can't know the satisfaction of being full unless you know what it's like to be hungry. You cannot know what cold is like unless you know what warm is like. You cannot know what darkness is like unless you know what light is like. You cannot know what pleasure is like. Pain and pleasure, another polarity. You cannot know what pleasure is like if you don't have pain to contrast it to. You cannot know what light is like if you do not have darkness to contrast it to. You can't really know what male is without female. You can't really know what good is without evil. So without these polarities, contrasting polarities, you cannot grow and develop as a human being, which is why your experience is so important. Because if I go over here and experience darkness and say, oh, I don't like that, then it's going to move me towards the light. Or if I go and experience light and don't like that, it might move me towards darkness. That's why in Scripture we're told, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. Try it out. Experience it for yourself. See how good it is, and then you'll be blessed if you put your trust in Him. But we don't give people the freedom to experience. The father gave the prodigal son the freedom to go out and experience life separated from the father's house. So he goes out into the world, and then what happens? What what happens? He has a good time for what? He loses everything, and then he realizes what? Man, my father's house was a great place, but he didn't know that before. So really, in the parable of the prodigal son, is the retelling of the story of Adam and Eve. And all of it is the retelling of our own lives. Are you tracking with me? So now here's the thing. If God left light and darkness in equal amounts in polarity in the macrocosm, guess what he did in the microcosm? Which is why God had to reach down into the deep to make man. So in other words, humanity covers the entire spectrum from the highest heights of heaven, the breath of God itself, the inner part of God, the breath of God, the bosom of God itself, to the lowest parts of the earth. Jesus ascended to the highest in the heavens, but he also, we're told in Ephesians, descended to the lowest parts of the earth. So that everything, the potential for everything, is in you as a human being. And then God put you here and said, I want you to learn and grow and choose and have free will.
right? So where does, where does demons and, and, and darkness and all this stuff come from? Well, the first thing you have to realize is there is, there is objective, evil, invisible forces. I want to make that clear. There are objective, dark, evil forces out there, but there are also subjective, dark, evil forces in here. What's in the macrocosm is in the microcosm. When my microcosm corresponds to the Spirit of God, guess what I access? When, when my subjective self begins to fine-tune to light and begins to fine-tune to love and begins to fine-tune to God as God is, then guess what I begin to access? I begin to access the objective reality of God, the two meet in the middle. Why doesn't God just heal everybody? Why does He send human beings out to lay hands on the sick? Why does He send human beings out to cast out demons? Why pray? Because you're the gateway. You're the channel. You're the temple between the spiritual and the material. And you are, or a human being is the only point of access that material has to spirituality and that spirituality has to materiality. Making sense to you? So guess what? If I have a correspondence in me where I've developed darkness, it's in me. It's not coming from out there. It's coming from in here first. It doesn't start out there. Because, just like God needs to have the correspondences of your free will and all that in order to operate and access, guess what? Darkness also has to have correspondences in order to have access. Our translations don't help us here. Paul says, take up the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6 that you may stand against the wiles. The word for wiles there is the inroads of the devil. So in other words, the devil wants to use you like a landing strip. Jesus said this, nothing that you eat can defile you. Now that means nothing to us because we don't understand that you didn't get meat in ancient cultures unless it was at a festival. And there was a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was to the gods, which is why Jews would not eat with Gentiles. Because they would sacrifice to the gods, and then you would eat that meat. If you were eating that meat, you were ingesting, and that's what they believed at the feast, that the god would come down and inhabit the sacrifice, and you would partake of the nature of that god, which is exactly what the Lord's Supper is. Jesus said it's not what a man eats, that defiles him. It's what's within him that defiles him. Paul said, go ahead and eat things sacrificed to idols because idols are nothing in one place to the Gentiles. James says, every man when he is tempted, in James chapter 1, every man when he is tempted, let him not say he is tempted by God. Why would they be tempted to say they are tempted by God? No charismatic Christian in the 21st century would ever say God was tempting me. No, we know temptation comes from Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the, all these forces, right? 
He doesn't, but, but the Jewish people didn't think like that because we'll find out on Sunday they didn't have a devil. <laughs> so if temptation was coming from without, the only place it could come from was from God. So James, who's writing to Jewish believers, says, if any man is being tempted, <coughs> don't let him say God is tempting you because God is not tempted by evil, by evil. Not by Satan, God, because evil exists as a polarity. God is not tempted by that polarity, neither does He tempt other people with it. But when you are tempted, it comes from your own lusts. It comes from something inside you that pulls you away and you go through this whole conception and you, he, he refers to it as a conception process, a birth process, and a delivery process. Conception, delivery. Are you tracking with me? When Jesus faces the devil in the wilderness, the devil doesn't beat him. He doesn't break his refrigerator. What does he do? But how does he tempt him? He tempts him with words. Or... Thoughts. Now watch this. You gotta watch this very carefully. Go back and read the temptation of Jesus. You gotta watch this very carefully. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days, and we think the devil, the devil comes and tempts him with food. How does that happen? Put a movie to that for me. Does the devil show up in a body? It never says the devil became embodied. It said the devil said. So Jesus is hearing something. Where is he hearing it? Is it an audible voice? Or is he hearing it in his own head? And by the way, he didn't bring him angel uh, devil's food cake. I mean, if I'm hungry for 40 days, I'm going to be tempted to eat. Might be devil's food cake might be good. He brought him stones. I, I mean, you got to be awful hungry. I mean, that's not a temptation of the flesh because he was hungry. It was an attack on his identity. He says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones that they become bread. Now watch this. John tells us in John's Gospel that the first miracle Jesus ever performed was at Cana of Galilee, changing one element, water, into a different element, wine. He had never performed a miracle before. And I think that's so incredible because because basically what the devil's coming and saying, if you're this guy, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, if you've been anointed, prove it with demonstrations of power. It wasn't so he could just eat. It was so he could do magic. Now we know he's in the wilderness the entire time. If you believe your Bible, he's in the wilderness the entire time. But it says the devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple. How's that work? Or the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How does that work? It's all states of consciousness. He went in a state of consciousness to the pinnacle of the temple. He showed him all the worlds in a moment of time. It's all about states of consciousness. That that, that are energy centers that can satanically be activated inside of the human being. For the purpose of giving life to those principles of evil and darkness. 
So if you want to know where demonic energies come from, they come from the human being. All right, let's do it like this. Let's go back to the beginning. Who's who's the who's the, the who's the devil in the story traditionally in Genesis three? Who's the devil? The serpent, right? What is God's? What is what? It, look, we need to look at this because this this we might need to look at. So Genesis three. What does God tell the serpent? Verse 14, so God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now watch this. I will put enmity, conflict, turmoil between you. Now who's the devil? Who's the you? The serpent, which we traditionally say is the devil. So let's just read it that way. I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman. Who's the woman? Eve. Now watch this. So if there's any attacking going on with the serpent, it's towards Eve. After the fall. Yes? Watch this. And between your seed and her seed. Now who's her seed? Who's the seed of the woman? Well, it's foretelling Jesus. That's the traditional, that's the traditional Interpretation. So the, the the early church fathers and the Catholics and stuff would say he's he's talking about uh, Mary and Christ because then it goes on and says um, between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Talking about the crucifixion, right? So that's what theologians call the proto evangelion. The, the very first preaching of the gospel was to the serpent. But watch this: the enmity. <laughs> If Christ is the seed, we can identify Christ as the seed, but Christ's conflict is not with the serpent. Christ's conflict is with the seed of the serpent. So if we know who the woman's seed is, Christ, who's the, who's the serpent's seed? Who's the devil's seed? Ever even thought about it? Yeah, you're close. So if you, if, you, if you track the scriptures, what's the next story? What happens in the next story? Cain and Abel. <laughs> right? But, but originally, we say it's a prophecy of Christ. The Jews don't read it that way. The Jews read it as God is speaking to who? To Eve. So who is Eve's seed? <laughs> Cain and Abel. So where does the serpent seed come in? Where does the serpent seed come in? Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 or 11, something like that. God says to Cain, sin lies at your door. But in the Hebrew, sin lies at your door like a low crouching beast of the field. Its desire is for you to have and possess you and you must rule over it. And the reason Cain was susceptible was because Abel was a domesticator of the beasts of the field. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. He knew nothing about ruling over the beast. It's metaphor. 
So what happens? So Cain gets envy stirred up inside of him. He gets anger stirred up inside of him. And what does he do? He kills his brother. And then he's all about his own self-preservation. Oh my God, anybody finds me, he's going to kill me. Don't do this to me. Right? So the seed of the serpent is the sin principle, if you will, rising up and operating and taking dominion over the person. And it's the person who energizes and creates it. Sin lies at your door. What door? Because, well, as a crouching beast. Why? Because, because that darkness has to have a doorway, has to have a channel, has to have a temple, has to have a pathway through which to operate. So that's how you see it played out in the original part of the story, right? Where do we see it in the New Testament? Well, didn't Jesus look at the religious institution of his day, the one that represented God, and said, you brood of vipers. What's a brood of vipers? It's a snake. So in other words, you are the offspring of the serpent. You are the seed that I'm in conflict with. John chapter 8, what does he tell him? You're of your father, the devil. Now watch this. He was a murderer from the beginning. He takes him back to the Cain and Abel story. And the desires of your father you do. John, in another place, in one of his letters, he says, he says, um, here's how we know what the children of the devil are like and the children of God are like. How do we know? He says, don't be like Cain. And murder your brother or sister in your heart. James, again, in James chapter 4, he says, he says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast or lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above, but this wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So when Jesus is wrestling with the devil in the wilderness, he's here, he's listening, he's hearing demonic wisdom. And it's a question of whether or not that demonic wisdom is going to get in him. So when he comes out, right in the Gospels, when he comes out, he meets a demon. The very next thing, he meets a demon. You know what the demon says to him? Son of man, what have you come? (laughs) He says, in the original language, I don't remember how it is in the English, he says, what do we have to do with you? Or what do you have to do with us? That's what he said. Now watch this, this is important. What do you have to do with us? Have you come to torment us before our time? In other words, you're over on this other polarity. You shouldn't be over here. And in the original language, it's what do we have in common? Nothing. We have nothing in common. So why are you messing with us? We're over in this polarity over here. You're in that polarity over there. Why are you even messing with us? What do we have in common? So then when Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, he says this is the time for darkness to reign. And the prince of this world comes, watch this, he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Satan, the adversary, couldn't even kill Jesus without human participation because we know 
at the Lord's Supper, it says Satan filled Judas's heart to go out and do what he did. So there is a principle. Here's what I'm saying. There is a principle of darkness. There is a principle of evil that exists that is woven into creation and is woven into you. It's not a separate entity or a separate being or necessarily a personal being at all. It is a principle, just like light is a principle and darkness is a principle. Just like negative is a principle and positive is a principle. Just like heat is a principle and cold is a principle. That's why the writers use light and darkness because they don't want you to personify it. They want you to understand that they are principles that are woven into creation and woven into you. And if you activate that, so here's, so what are, what are demonic energies? Here's what they are. Here's what you, here's what they are. They are, when that thing gets activated in me, there is energy. That energy can be given form. How is that energy given form? It's given form through thought, through imagination, through emotion. You can give enough thought and imagination and energy to those things that they spin off and take on a life of their own. If you really think about it, Family systems, church systems, religious systems, professional organizations where you work, all has an atmosphere and a personality all its own. And you can change bosses. (laughs) I mean, the Denver Broncos right now have a losing culture. And it does not matter who you put in there. I read today when they traded away Emmanuel Sanders that he was the last remaining member of the offense that won the Super Bowl, right? So they've changed all kinds of players, changed coaches, changed quarterbacks, and they still suck and get the same results. Because it's, it's the personality of the team. It's, that's why they talk about what's the identity of this team. Look on the other spectrum, side of the spectrum, look at the Patriots. They, they can plug and play just about anybody. Why? Because they have a personality. You, you, you get what I'm saying? So when we give enough thought and energy and emotion and stuff, stuff spins off, and yes, they, they can become entities in and of itself. It becomes entities in and of itself. So you create your own demon, and then it holds you in bondage. It holds you in captivity. Again, this is something that Jewish people understood. They talked about what's called the klipoth. Ever heard of the klipoth? Nope, most people haven't. Here's what they would say. They would say that any negative energy that you're producing and you do not master or expel gets stored in a collective atmosphere that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 of darkness that they would call the klipoth. And it's an energy that exists out there by itself. And when somebody is leaning towards darkness, the energy from the klipoth can come and energize what they're thinking and feeling in that moment and push them over the edge. Which is why some people commit crimes and don't remember crimes. Or two days later, they kill somebody and two days later, they're like, I can't believe I did that. How did I do that? And they're left in remorse. 
because it wasn't really within them. They just leaned close enough to the darkness, and then those powers got activated. Just like the power of God. How many of you ever had an experience with the power of God where you fell down or you shook or you, or you felt the power flowing through you or whatever? Something came, something came over you that wasn't you, that was so energetic and so powerful and it produced a result in the natural world that wasn't you. The same thing is also true for darkness in the sense that there are these, there are these negative energy centers that are built up. <laughs> that are part of creation and part of consciousness. And we, and when we tap into them, if we get too close or if we haven't mastered those things, they can push us over the edge. So when those energies came to Jesus, he said that now's the time for that energy to be at its highest point. They're going to crucify me. Judas is going to betray me. Think about this, guys. Think about this. Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday and they're celebrating him as the Messiah. And by Thursday, they're saying, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. How did that happen? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, because the energy of darkness is so built up that now it's coming, but I will not be under its influence because it has nothing in me. It Klepoth. Later. Let me finish and I'll give it to you at the end. So, because I don't want to lose my train of thought, which... I think I did. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, so, do, do you kind of see it? And so, here's the thing. It's an energetic system. So a person can call on the name of Jesus. That's just form. They can love God. That's energy. But they can activate those centers. And let's take witchcraft, for example. What's witchcraft? On, the surf, on a very surface, shallow understanding of negative witchcraft black black magic let's just say black magic what is black magic well we don't we don't really know what it is but we don't really know what it is so so we think okay you got charms you got a rat, rat's tail <laughs> you kill a chicken and shed its blood and you do and and you send forth why do you have to do all that stuff why do they have to do rituals because the demons just require it no because they have to build up the energy and the intensity of the experience And so all this macabre stuff, blood and rat's tails and all this stuff, all it does is it energizes that system within them so that they can send out something that spins off of them to accomplish a task. And if you're trained in the black arts, you know that. But witchcraft, by definition, and I'm not talking about like... like in, in the biblical sense, when it's talking about witchcraft, it's talking about controlling or putting, or black magic is trying to get someone out, it is violating the most basic principle of humanity, and that is someone else's free will. To try to dominate them to do what you want them to do. It doesn't matter if it's a love potion, doesn't matter if it's a death curse, whatever, you are trying to impose your will over somebody else. That's the principle of witchcraft. If we only think witchcraft is the bells and the smells and the incense and the nonsense, we miss the entire point. Because I know a lot of pastors that were into witchcraft. I know a lot of intercessors that were into witchcraft because all they were trying to do was get their will to be exerted upon the city, to be exerted upon the government, to be exerted on their lost sons and daughters that were doing what they thought they were supposed to do. 
And so they're creating energy and sending it forth so that their will is done dishonoring that other person. So the principle of witchcraft in that sense is domination. Now I know there are people that practice, you know, witchcraft that don't have any part of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you, you get what I'm saying? Then it's not what the biblical term witchcraft means. So like Paul could say to the Galatian church, who has bewitched you? And you know who bewitched them? The religious leaders and the Christians, not, these weren't, these weren't just Pharisees coming in saying, oh, we don't believe in Jesus. No, these were other fellow believers that had come into the church. And he said, they've put you under a curse and they have bewitched you in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Guaranteed they weren't calling up pagan gods. <sighs> now, what happens if collectively we generate this same kind of energy and emotion and whatever in a group? Now we're creating an influence using energy, using thought, using the power of your mind, using your own, using the power that God put in you as a God to change and influence things. Right? So there is the true Christ and there is religious Jesus thought forms. And you've got to know which one you're plugging into (laughs) and which one you're serving. Are you serving the true Christ? Or are you, because we, why, why would churches require creeds? Why? Because they're serving thought forms. And so we have to think the same way because just like as a physical person, you've got to eat physical food to have energy. Thought forms have to eat what? Thoughts, emotions. Hmm? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're thought forms. That's why you can do anything, just about, and they don't really care about you. Like, they won't mess with you. Like, have trouble, eh. Maybe they're there for you, depending on the kind of people they are. Maybe they're there and they're helping you and they're supporting you and they're loving you and it's all good. But the moment you break with the thought form, what happens? Ugly. Why? How can people that you've broken bread with, that you've been there the hardest times in their lives, they've been with you the hardest times in your life, you have all this other stuff. People that are not bound by a thought form, they have lifelong friends. Because they're just doing life together. They can disagree on all kinds of topics, but they're still friends because they're just doing life together because they're not bound by a thought form. But when you get into a religious system or a creed or a dogma, like our brother said back there, now you've made yourself subject to a thought form and all the energy of that thought form. And you've worshipped it and you've fed it and you've been devoted to it. And so the moment you stop... Feeding the thought form, and heaven forbid, challenge the thought form. You challenge the thought form, there literally is a demon, a collective demon built by the thought form that will seek to destroy you. 
And people even think that they heard God say, we need to put a curse on them to kill them because they're doing too much damage. We shared all this life, have all this memory and all this experience together, but oh my God, you don't believe in hell anymore? Oh my God, you're not calling yourself a church anymore? What? Now we don't believe with the thought form. And so then they get energized with all this crazy energy, and you're like, where did all this craziness come from? It partly came from within them, but it mostly came because they came under the influence of that thought form. That is not the spirit of Christ. That is not the mind of Christ. That is not the reality of what Christ taught. It's not the light. It's the darkness. And you start exposing the light into the darkness, and what does the darkness do? Ah, what do we have to do with you? So that's what Jesus did. What darkness was John talking about? The darkness of the Old Covenant. The darkness of the Jewish religious system that had become an offspring of the serpent and was no longer a representation of the divine. And so Jesus comes in as shining the light in the darkness, and what did they do? Stephen shines the light in the darkness. What did they do? They killed him. So people don't have to kill you physically. People won't kill you physically today because they don't want to go to jail. Believe me, the Catholic Church would still be doing the Inquisitions if they had the power to. If there weren't other governmental structures to keep that in check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but do you, do you get it? But you don't have to physically murder somebody to murder somebody. You just don't have anything to do with them anymore. That person might as well be dead to you. Right? I mean, I have friends that we were really close and we never see or hear from them again. They, they, they might as well be in a grave. And why? We don't believe like that. You're off. And they'll get mad. People, I don't even know. People, I don't even know, never even met. Social media. Social media is a crazy thing because you know, you know damn well people will say shit to you on social media that they will never say to your face. <laughs> that they would never say to your face. But they don't think twice about putting it as a comment underneath or whatever. And they go crazy and I love it. I think it's great. I think it's fun. It's so much fun. Because <laughs> it just exposes that thing more and more. It's like, wow, this is just crazy. Make sense? And God, if you don't like it, unfriend me. Block me. Lots of people have. I, I won't even notice. <laughs> I mean, truly, I won't even know because I don't know you. Is that? Okay, so we'll pick this up Sunday morning. Like, But at Sunday morning will be kind of its own message. So let's kind of close it there so we can stop recording. <laughs>